This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. We are on the 10th floor of the this is the Maryland Education Building, the Nancy Grasmick Building, up on the 10th floor with Dr. James Fielder, who is the Secretary of Maryland Higher Education Commission. Once again, how are you? Just great, John. How are you? Good. Um, let's get the important stuff out of the way. First of all, we prior talked about how we hate COVID and not being able to shake hands and the whole mask things and everything else. And hopefully we're kind of moving away from that, knocking on wood. But more importantly, I wanted to congratulate you on your Hall of Fame oh. nomination to the Maryland Economic Development Association. That's a uh, that's a pretty big deal. Thank you. It, it reflects uh, years of working with great teams to get a lot of good things done. Well, your background is in is in Harford County. Uh, yes, I grew up with, on a, on a farm in Harford County, and went out to Michigan State University to get my doctorate. Then worked in higher ed and private sector since then. And then you were you were doing economic development there for quite in Harford County. Yes, we in a very short period of time were recognized as one of the top offices in the in the United States. We got Mary Garound, the Gap, Mercedes, Cardinal Metal Box, Frito Lay independent can expansions so there was and plus there's more uh, just a tremendous influx with the recognition that what economic development really is is more like humans as humans we go where we're loved and we stay where we're nurtured so the whole philosophy for me about economic development was let's make this a place that's attractive to business. Let's, let's build the workforce, educate the workforce, so the recruitment and out-commute is not necessary, and that's we're able to do it effectively. Well, congratulations. The uh, honor is well-deserved, for sure. So, Thank you. Um, but we're here to talk about higher education, and you are the secretary of the Maryland Higher Education Commission, and formerly, actually, you were the uh, Maryland Secretary of Labor under Governor Ehrlich. Yes, um, two others are under uh, Governor Schaefer and then Governor Glenn Denning. I worked for the State of Maryland Economic Development as Acting Secretary and Deputy Secretary, and then also for Governor Hogan as Secretary of Appointments. And it was the appointments of individuals to different positions, not as my wife initially thought, wow, I I can get all the appointments I need. You have certainly got some institutional knowledge of the workings of the state of Maryland from the county level all the way up to the top level of this building on Baltimore Street. And MHEC, or Maryland Higher Education Commission, very broadly, you guys administer grants and scholarships uh, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Yeah, over $100 million. Over $100 million. 120 to 130 depending on the appropriations, yes. Just shy of my salary. Yeah, that's, so that's exactly <laughs> right. I did note that in, on your write-up, yes. <laughs> but that's annually to residents of Maryland that are Yes, last year we closed in on 67,000 students that were able to provide scholarships of one form or another, or t- even um, tax uh, credits. Scholarships and grants, we all sort of know what they are. I mean, here's some money, have at it, go forth in life and be good. Uh, You've got some scholarships that may need to be paid back. Others are just given. What else does MHEC get into? I mean, are there other aspects of it other than just doling out dollars? Yes. it's uh, The sexy part of it is the scholarships, and that's what brings the most attention from parents and universities and, of course, students. 
you know, over 150,000 applications per year are reviewed. The other parts that we are responsible for, 1988 was when IMHEC was created, Maryland Higher Education Commission, and it was to provide increased coordination and advisory capacity to the governor, the executive suite in Annapolis, as well as legislators. And the purpose was to make sure that the state of Maryland was providing the greatest access for the broadest number of academic programs to all the citizens of Maryland. The second part of that is to increase student success with a goal of having 55% of our population of 24 years old and older by 2025 to have a degree. I mean, and that's got to be somewhat of a daunting task in that the University of Maryland system, which has most of the, we'll say, Maryland public colleges. I know they have that, like, all, all uh, yes. Well, St. Mary's is sort of a little bit of an outlier. I and Morgan. Think, and Morgan. So, but, the, okay, so they're acting as independent agencies. Then you've got the University of Maryland system, which sort of is the overarching grandfather of all of these yes. institutions, which are autonomous in and of themselves. Yes, and our role in that is, in addition to what I've already mentioned, is every academic program that an institution desires to create, every mission statement is reviewed and approved by IMHEC. So if an institution chooses to come up with a, a new program in deep data analytics or nanotechnology or any, any of the new, they would typically build it from the faculty up through their provost and submit an application for our review. Then we would circulate it and follow a process and try to prevent academic duplication. So you're actually involved in the creation of the curricula at the various... I, would, I wouldn't use the word creation because it's the, in, uh, the institutional autonomy provides the authority and responsibility for each institution to develop their mission statement. And with their mission statement, then to build out their academic programs. So they will create the program and then request approval for it. Okay. And in the past, um, since I've been here since 15, there have been programs that have been denied. And of course, the majority, vast majority are approved as presented. Well, I know that Maryland does participate also in the uh, reciprocity, and I don't know what the agreement, but if they are looking to go to a Maryland school, but it does not offer your course of study, there are several schools that work that you can go to and work with in-state tuition, which is a a real big bonus for those that are looking to go to school for a specialized field. Uh, Yeah, a unique field, a unique academic program. It's an academic common market It's what it's called. It's a compact so that the, as you've already indicated, the student who wants to study veterinary medicine, um, the relationship with the state of Virginia allows a student from Maryland to be able to go after the veterinary degree by paying in-state tuition as compared to out-of-state. And as you know, if as a parent, I would assume the difference between in-state and out-of-state tuition is, can be very, very large. As the father of a daughter who went to North Carolina as a Maryland resident out-of-state, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, it's these are very, very important things. Uh, in 2015, the Maryland legislature passed and it was supported um, the SARA, which is the Reciprocity Act throughout the United States in every state except California is participating to allow the out-of-state institutions to provide online coursework and programs to Maryland residents. 
Um, so that has been a tremendous proliferation of academic access um, for our citizens, as well as our, our in-state institutions being approved to, to offer in all the other states except for California. In California, you can get a registration and approve just like the institutions from California have to get our approval, MHEX approval, to offer courses in the state okay. of Maryland. Let's jump right in. I mean, COVID has reached every corner of our lives um, from, you know, squirting down the microphones before we uh, started to talk into the, the face masks and the buttons in the elevator and everything else. Where has that impacted in the Maryland Higher Education Commission? I mean, where are the main impacts that you're seeing? Uh, it's had a very direct impact. Um, the 8th of March, I think, was the first day that the um, federal analytics and statistics came out with a very negative and broad predictions about how serious this was. And then I think it was March 13th that MHEC switched to being online from home, uh, which is very dramatic. Um, I have to compliment all the universities, community colleges, independent and public institutions in the state of Maryland, that within the last seven months, you've seen more innovation in the delivery of services remotely to students, faculty, and staff in the history of the United States. If you had asked phenomenal. A, if you ask a year ago, tenured professors, well, how many of you would like to be teaching online only? It would have been a minority, would have been a response. And now it's the majority and uh, the tens of millions of dollars that universities are needing to spend on professional development, IT platforms, in- encrypted, dedicated phone lines, encrypted computer lines like we have to do. Because as we continue to try and m- continue to meet all the scholarship and awards on time, on date, so that the universities can function, that means we have to receive all of the tax information and personal ID information, get it encrypted, get it into our system, get it analyzed, and make the awards to 60,000 students. It, it's huge. It's huge. And, and the staff and our Office of Student Financial Assistance and our finance and administrative side, our IT, everybody has performed admirably to make this shift. Speaks to a good team that's working, you know, literally across the state from, you know, out in Washington County all the way down to Wicomico, I imagine. Yes, it is. And and the technology allows even people to work remotely. We should have bought stock in Zoom uh, before well, before this all. <laughs> all yeah, yeah, well, there's, yeah, we look back on things. There's a lot of things we could have done. I would have owned a um, hand sanitizer company <laughs> yeah, or a mask company. Or, Absolutely. Well, have you found, is there a shift away because of this pandemic? Are you finding that people are hesitant to go? I mean, okay, along with the pandemic, we come a questionable, shaky, unstable, whatever it means. I wouldn't say we're a really horrible economy at this point, but there's uncertainty. Yes. And are you finding that people are going, well, you know, maybe college is not for me now, or are they shifting to community colleges? And, that, and that's a really um, very perceptive question. And what we've tried to analyze, we do not have all the fall enrollment yet to be able to answer definitively what shifts we've seen. But over the last five years, we have seen the increase questioning of the value of higher education. And I think that there's been some national press that has been negative and inappropriate in the manner of misinformation that higher education, and especially these days when you think of COVID, everything's through a mask, through a text, on a line, um, 
the dehumanization of communication is of great concern for me. I think communication was already stressed just because of the high rate of change in our culture that now that the the need for strong analytical thinkers, critical thinkers, um, communication skills is going to be heightened even into the future. And that's typically higher education and typically implies more in-person so that the interaction is there. And when I think of what COVID has done, it's caused us to switch to electronic communication. And I, I think one of the downsides is the potential for miscommunication if we totally rely on technology. Community college has seen a, a rise. I know that Anne Arundel County Community College, I know that Harford, um, Howard have all seen a, r- a rise in attendance. And I think that part of that is certainly, I think, a lot of people looking to better their lives. Um, it, and I know that you've got several different programs. You have a last dollar award, I guess it is, for a near completer. And I remember yeah. there was a, an Orioles player, and I'm going to draw a blank on his yeah, name. Yeah, it's true. And that the Orioles player was a spokesman that we recruited for the near completer. And the near completer program is specifically designed for students who were finish 75% of their academic program at a two-year or four-year, so an associate's or baccalaureate degree, but didn't finish for whatever reason, family, financial, health, car accident, whatever the reason, that the emphasis was, well, how do we bring them back in to finish that dream that they had? And if it's by providing a little bit of scholarship, working with institutions, then that's what we've tried to do. And we have made some gains there, not as dramatic as we would like, but the near the near completer is, is so key when you say, okay, how do you change somebody's life? Education. I mean, we know by looking at any any type of data and statistics that the areas of highest unemployment are also congruent with the areas of lowest educational attainment. That the areas of greatest public need for support, lowest educational attainment. So if you start saying, okay, where is there a common element that can be identified and directed? It's education. Economic Development, Department of Labor, it's all about the workforce. Well, you look at that. I mean, you look even with the GED. I mean, you're starting on the lowest level. It's like, hey, dude, okay, you can drop out of college or out of high school, but you need to get your GED. Okay, you need to get that level of education. And certainly when you're, whether you're in a two-year program at a community college or into a four-year program at a four-year school, you know, attaining that is really the next level to, to really better your life any way you look at it. That's a really good way to, to say it because one of the things that we've been trying to work on and are working on, not just trying, is to look at non-credit and credit courses, look at dual enrollment, meaning while the student is in high school that they also can get an associate's degree, looking at transfer guarantees through articulation programs so that the parent and the student know that if they sign up for this associate's degree, linked to a four-year degree in a specific subject and with an articulation program, 100% of everything transfers. And those are agreements that we're working through in a manner to make it more transparent. Well, the transferability is is key out of the community colleges into Maryland schools. And again, you mentioned about taking community college courses or college-level courses in high school to as the the channel, if you will, to get to the end of, end of your degree. 
my kids have so many friends that have gone into Maryland schools that have gone into a bachelor's degree that say, hey, you know, we can accelerate this and we can get you your master's degree within pretty much the same time, that about an extra year. everywhere. And, and that's, again, focusing it here. So now after five years of school, you not only have your bachelor's, but you do have your master's and, you know, whether it be business administration or whatever, which is uh, there's plenty of different ways to affect that. One of the huge things is obviously, um, as I know, three kids that have gone through school is paying for it. And I remember uh, shortly after my youngest graduated, the big thing was, hey, there's free college in Maryland. And I'm here to beat you up to ask why the heck wasn't this around when my kids were in school. But what is what is the story with free, col- with free college? And that's through community college. And that's the um, Promise Program. Yeah. Now, the Promise Program was passed two years ago. A year ago, uh, it was amended further, which has broadened the eligibility. The first um, year that it was passed, the legislative, it mandated that any student who signed up for the Promise Scholarship, they had to have a 2.3 from high school. They had to take 12 credits or more to, to be fully enrolled. And, you know, the family income was important, but it would be up to $5,000 per year per student, which is pretty well paying for the community college um, costs. So in the um, amended legislation last year, they eliminated the service requirement, meaning that for each year that you received the scholarship that you had to stay in the state of Maryland or had to pay taxes in the state of Maryland. So that was eliminated. Also, the age was eliminated because we initially had it within two years of graduating from high school or a GED. So that was eliminated so that it's a recognition of the fact that community college students are older, typically um, have a job, may or may not have family commitments. So that what we're trying to do is work with the students and the presidents of the community college are doing a fantastic job of broadening this. So so this year we've awarded, I think it's 2,562 students, and we have more on a waiting list. Uh, we've expended the $8 million that was appropriated. The first year there was appropriation of $15 million, but the absorption was very, very small just because of the timing of when it occurred and the lack of publicity and marketing to getting the word out. MHEC's goal is just to get more people through school with as little little cost as possible. Um, no, that um, I, w- I would broaden that a little bit when you say goal. With my background in economic development, our goal is to have a robust workforce, one that is – educated and willing and can handle whatever's thrown at it. The state of Maryland's economy, you've already mentioned that we're doing a little bit better than some of the other states, and we didn't go as deep in 2008 into the recession as some states did, and we recovered faster. And and now with COVID, the slowdown, we're coming back even faster. And that's because of the workforce and the jobs. There's so many jobs are information-type jobs. So you can work from home and complete, you know, and keep moving, keep things up. And it's so critical when you start talking about, well, where are we going in the future? Again, we're creating dual majors. You're, you're talking about appointments of across institutions of faculty members. So we're trying to look at create, greater cooperation, greater collaboration, greater communication within the institutions so that the student and the parent can see more of a transparent route 
to get to their desired degree and understanding that we're working at the level of uh, certificates, they call them badges now, and trying to do simultaneous and stackable so that you're taking something at the high school level counts for your associate's degree, counts for your baccalaureate degree. So you're com- compressing, potentially compressing the time that it takes to get the degree which then decreases the cost of the education and also decreases the need for student debt at the end of the and I've got to imagine that's just a huge thing. I mean, I don't run a uh, you know Fortune 5 company or anything like that, but I'd imagine if Apple was looking, I mean, we went through this with Amazon. I mean, we lost a little bit to Virginia, but uh, generally the general area. But, I mean, I would think that a large company that's coming into here is that they're saying, well, okay, I need to have employees, so where am I looking for? I need to, okay, what are we putting out of our colleges? Uh, perhaps if it's a manufacturing plant, what are we putting out of our high schools? Uh, what are we putting out of our community colleges right. that can do that? So that's probably a... Um, you know, a huge thing. And all these things are on the website, which is MHEC, the letters M-H-E-C, because everybody loves acronyms, right. .maryland.gov. And you guys get into all sorts of other scholarships and grants and whatnot. What other types of things that you've, that you've seen? I know I've seen our public library has a database where you can find – Redheaded boys that played basketball with size 13 shoes that are over six foot three can have like a $500 grant if they go to like a Nebraska school. Uh, you know, just very oddball things like that. Yeah, you know, well, they, you're right. Um, we've seen a proliferation in the last 10 years of scholarships that are what I would call more niche, meaning that they're narrowly focused. So they're needed but they still are narrowly focused. As an example, teachers fellows. So we're fully subscribed to the amount of money that pay for someone for a full tuition to go to a college of education and get a teaching degree. Well, we have a shortage of teachers and it's very it's very much needed. Um, civil servants. So we have workforce shortage um, scholarships. So we identify the areas of greatest need, whether STEM, bio, or information technologies, big data analytics, all those types of things. And we will specifically change the scholarships so the scholarships available for that. The Richard Collins Scholarship was founded just 18 months ago, and this was the, the young man student who that was, was, killed in, that was killed at College Park, yeah. and he was a ROTC student. So that has now been fully funded and operational. Um, so we, we have EMT, we have uh, firefighters, you know, Iraq veterans, it goes on in terms of the different types of programs, 26 different programs to be exact. So you may qualify for any number of them or a few yes. of them or none of them. Yes, and, um, they, and they can be combined. Wow, okay. So, so. mhec.maryland.gov is the website. Say if I'm independently wealthy, I told you I made just shy of that $110 million or yes. whatever it was. But if I wanted to fund a scholarship, I mean, there's nothing that says I can't do that privately on my own, right? Do They, they don't all need to go to you. If I say I want to award a scholarship to a student that's going to the University of Maryland or to Towson or Salisbury right. or Frostburg, do I need to go through MHEC to set that up or can I? No, those are typically um, set up through an individual institution. Every institution has a foundation and those foundations are trying to work with citizens to further um, stand up scholarships. And the, again, those scholarships can be based like, well, I only want to do a a music major or I want to do an agriculture major or I want to do 
you know, for strings quartets. So they can be as fine as that person is willing to dedicate. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily need to... No, our scholarships are state-funded scholarships, so it's state taxpayer monies that come in to be funded. It's not... uh, It'd be great, you know, if we had everybody say, why don't we do a dollar match on every dollar the state spends? Well, the universities do. I mean, we now have scholarships and that for someone who's very scholastically talented and, and... has a financial with great need, they can get up to a $38,000 scholarship with matching monies from an institution, which is huge. Yeah, huge is right. But when students graduate, and and I know that when you and I went to school, uh, I'll venture to say that it was a lot less expensive to attend than it is today. Uh, And I had my scholarships. (laughs) as, As did I. But what are there any plans or programs that you guys are involved with that will help students manage their debt, Maryland students that come in there? You know, whether it be a tax rebate or a anything That's like a that? Um, well, Governor Hogan, uh, the push for him, was able to pass two years ago a tax credit program so that students that uh, apply can get a annual tax credit up to $1,500 per year to pay off student debt. That's significant. I and, mean, oh, it, it is. You know. Every dollar is significant if you're the one who's paying it, yes. You know, it's, it's funny. I know one of the scholarships that my kids, um, the ones that went to the Maryland schools, uh, at whatever point in time, they trans- couple, had a couple transfers in there as well. But the delegate scholarships or the yeah. um, yeah. the legislative scholarships. And I remember just the greatest story from my son when um, delegate Ron George and I said, hey, you know, apply for the scholarship. You don't need to repay it back and so on and so forth. And my son looked at me and says, man, you know, it's it's only like $250 or something like that. I said, dude, if you saw 250 bucks in a parking lot sitting on the ground, would you take the time to bend over and pick it up? Or would you just say, you know, take it down to a quarter? If you see a quarter on the ground, would right. you, you? I'd pick up a penny. You, you, you bend over and pick it up. Uh, so he, he applied for it. And on his own, he turned around, and after he received it, he had sent a thank you note. And uh, the following year, he went and applied again, and he got a raise, if you will. It went from uh, the two fifty; ended up getting like I think twenty five hundred dollars, which was something. And, and right. uh, we went in and talked to him, said, "Hey, what what is the deal with this?" And he says, "Yeah, I remember your son. He was the only one that wrote a thank you note, and it's it's a discretionary it is thing for the for the legislators and." It was just like, wow. I said, okay, so from going from like, oh, this is just not worth my time for $250 to costing a, probably it was a 42-cent stamp at that time and a, and a piece of paper, you've got, you know, like $2,000. Uh, pretty, good, pretty good return on investment. Well, it's, it's also like we talked a little bit about that's that communication skills. You know, and between the, the delegate and the senatorial scholarships this year is we're going to approach uh, – almost 20,000 students that will have some be recipient of some type of award and each delegate and senator establishes their own academic I'm sorry their own academic credentials and application process some award uh, to spread the money that they have across as many people as they can and others do it differently based upon whatever their own decisions are right we want you know, people that are living in subsidized housing or whatever it may be, which is which is fantastic. And that's something that a lot of students don't realize there's out there. Yeah. Um, again, most of this stuff is – all of this stuff is actually available at Maryland Higher Education Commission right. website, mhecmaryland.gov. 
But you know, to summarize, I mean, we've got more than a hundred million dollars yes. uh, per year to give away. Four-year colleges, two-year colleges. Uh, you can get in there early, get out early with less debt. You've got the ability to work some tax credits to help reduce that debt or reduce your obligation in repaying it. You can go to community college for essentially free uh, to get you a start right. here. And I think the huge thing that Maryland has is that transferability between the community colleges that you know you don't need to worry. I, I And my kids transferred a couple different times, and that was the biggest pain in the neck. And this doesn't transfer. This doesn't transfer. I did it myself. I went from Marietta College out in Ohio to Temple. And I ended up, by default, being on the five-year plan. When I- right. Well, that's I – mean, it's not just time. It's cost. So you you lose the – the student, if they have to take the coursework over because they didn't verify that it would transfer before they took the course, wherever they took it, end up with the investment twice. So that cost is also one year that they're not in the workforce sooner. So the student debt goes up. So there's so many different things. Some of the other things I would mention is that the students need to participate in FAFSA, if you remember that wonderful term. Yeah, I hate that word. (laughs) I know, free application, federal student assistance. And then we established this program for the state of Maryland for the DACA students that is a parallel for those that students that do not or have not been able to get a Social Security number so they can also receive scholarships. Tremendous amount of work with the Department of, of Labor, the State Department of Labor, on apprenticeship programs because we see the fact that apprenticeship programs can pay um, you know, the hourly wage as the person is learning well, those, those apprenticeship programs, we can look to expand. Others are working with commerce to work with businesses to identify internships. So we're trying to do as much as we can so that the student actually has out-of-classroom work experience as they're going to matriculate. And, and it's very por- important to help them be more successful when they graduate. Again, that l- less than that student debt, which is average Twenty-five thousand nationwide. It's probably twenty-eight thousand five hundred. Every student that graduates owes that much money, and some, as you know, in the professionals are six-figure debts. It's crazy. Some of them. It's, it's crazy. How do you, if uh, two young professionals get married, law and medical degrees, and they got debt of a quarter million dollars to start? How do you even buy a car? How do you buy a house? How do you start a? Fa- I mean, all those are real and. Education shouldn't be a that burden. No, it it should be available to everybody. At I mean, obviously, there's a cost to it. I mean, we've the cost of deliverables, but it's uh, yeah to to burden somebody down like that. I mean, I've you know you've, I, I've seen, I've heard people and some friends that I've graduated with that you know didn't have any you know parental assistance. You know, were able right. to figure, and they're like you know it's all loans, and it's like man, you know, fifteen years later, I just paid off my 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 college loan and it feels great and other friends are like wow 15 years later i just paid off my house right and, <laughs> and we have parents that we work with that are still paying their own student debt and asking us how to get scholarships so that their children won't have student debt and that's amazing the final thing we need to talk about is how do we get your hands on all this where's how do we find out okay and, and get other you said we need to do fafsa which is the federal aid student financial federal, application. Federal application for free student assistance. Okay. No, it's which free is, application for federal student assistance. You're right. It's confusing. Which is the federal thing for all federal student aids. Yes. One application. It's fairly comprehensive. And that's what, October through March is the window to apply? Right. And the, the 
the thing that that does is by completing the FAFSA, it, it triggers our MDCAPS program, which is our software program, then that tracks the student in terms of establishing the family need, estimated family income, family need, which then we use to drive scholarships. And then when they list the particular institution, that institution's financial aid offices works through the same database. Okay. And that's MDCAPS, M-D-C-A-P-S? Yes. And that's mhec.maryland.gov, of course. But do they need to register on the Maryland CAPS to get into this, or is this an automatic? It's an automatic, but then they will um, have to put emails so well they have to register in a manner that so we can communicate with them and and i remember last time we spoke you had mentioned that there were a number of people uh that don't claim uh awards right which is that's that's walking by the 250 dollars in the parking lot well we've had students that have failed to claim in excess of ten thousand dollars a year and what happens after so many notifications that go out to the student so that we have to have a real solid email address or text messaging that we've gone to as much technology as we can. If the student fails after so many attempts to communicate with them, that money comes off the table and goes to the next student. Backs in the pot. That's in line. That's a need. Well, the moral of that story is to make sure that your email address is accurate. You spelled it right. Yes. <laughs> you have a dot, not a comma. Right. And, and, you, and you look for it because if you are looking to go to college, you should be looking, to, looking for the email to find ways to be able to help you. Yes, and, I, and we do see quite a number of parents that are managing this for their students, and that has frailties in itself. Yeah, I, I tend to be a – my parenting style is I have no problem letting my kid free fall. I will be there before he hits the cement on the bottom to catch them and break the fall. But we need to we, we need to learn these things through life. Um, and that's part of it. We, we dealt with one appeal for a parent who insisted that the student not open an email that was not recognizable. That's a bummer. And, Oh, it was a bummer, a loss of 12, I mean, you didn't, it wasn't like from Nigeria or anything, was it? <laughs> $12,000. Wow. Un- unreal. But it happens. And that's why we do as much broadcasting outreach through every counselor, every high school, trying to get more and more information out there about the need, you know, and pay attention to it. It is about the life skills. It's about following through. Um, with with your word. I mean, that's it's a skill that I value highly in all of my dealings. It's like, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. And same thing, if you if you commit to going to school, to bettering yourself, to bettering your life, whether maybe going back and finishing it, maybe it just starting out of high school, uh, commit to it and find out all the T's and the I's that need to be crossed and dotted as you go through it. And again, I will say that probably as some people may think that the MD CAPS program is unrelenting and with like, well, wait a minute, I wanted it, but it's all gone. Uh, I would say FAFSA is also as well. Uh, and, it and it's unfortunately, it's not, there's not one man here, you know, dealing with one student that's holding his hand all the way through it. This is, you know, we're dealing with hundreds of thousands of students every year that are looking to do this. And there, it, there, there are deadlines that need to be met. I know with FAFSA, and I don't know whether it's still the same, but the mantra was to get there and apply early because there is a limited pool of funds that are available right. in there that 
Yes, you can apply on February 28th or March 15th, but they may not be having the, and I have no idea what the dollar amount would be, but the gazillions of dollars that were available on October 1st. Once once it is absorbed, it is, and their students are put on a waiting list. Nobody wants to be on a waiting list. And we have people who call in that, well, I was only three days late. That was three days after the deadline. Yes, but I want to appeal. Well, yes, you can appeal. And the most we will probably do is put you on the wait list, which means if there are funds available and if there's need is demonstrated. Well, I'm going to say that your wait list probably does not uh, move very quickly. No, it typically doesn't. It, it is amazing that we have a, a number of students that decline scholarships. Either they've found a, a different financial path, maybe went to an out-of-state institution or something different, and those are quickly absorbed by students are, that are on a wait list. Yeah, I would say there would be certain extenuating certain the family's moving out of state sure. and they want to, you know, I've decided that a STEM thing is not my thing or whatnot. I have a friend of mine whose daughter was at community college and she just realized in her second year that it wasn't for her and she wants to go into the trades and she's going to uh, HVAC trade school. Excellent. Um, which is just, you know, phenomenal. And it it's, it's even great to learn that in community college as opposed to it's, it's also, um, again, we are looking at the non-credit side to evaluate at what point can some of it be credit. So for those trades that you just mentioned, HVAC, there's a tremendous amount of calculation and reliance on analytical thinking and computer skills. Well, at some point, can there be a test where that grants them credits that then could go toward a degree? Mm-hmm. So making the decision to move out of a associate's or baccalaureate degree because you as a family need income shouldn't eliminate you from completing a dream because we're one of the only departments in the state or even nationwide that deals with people's dreams and and helps them achieve their goals. Well, you guys are um – Probably one of the most compassionate departments, divisions. Um, well, I, but of, of the thing, I mean, I, I do. Know, I remember back when some of the um, for-profit colleges were going under, and there were there were two or three, I think, in Maryland that you guys busted your butts to. I don't know whether you were strong-arming the colleges in Maryland or whatever it was, but to say, hey, look, let's these kids got screwed. Right. Let's bring them in and give them full credit for what they did at this, you yes. know, whatever university and. Let them continue on with you. Yeah, that's uh, what we call a teach-out agreement. And there have been, a, you're correct, John, a number of institutions that, for whatever reason, closed down. Either nationally, they lost accreditation, or they lost their financial um, wherewithal. And what we require, the state of Maryland requires a letter of credit or financial guarantee up front for those for-profits to be in business here that it has to equal to pay off all the tuition revenue back to the students. And so that's a little bit, some would say a little bit onerous, but it provides a protection for the students. And again, if we're faced with student success and expanding access, we want the greatest variety of education availability, but we don't want to put students at risk. And we sort through that. I just think it's so amazing. And and you mentioned, again, it's all about job development and economics and it, and it all ties in. So it's funny how, as we've sat here and talked over the last half hour, that we, we opened up with your uh, Economic Development Hall of Fame Award and how it is really all tied in. And it's not too distant from 
not too big of a step yeah. from where you were to where you are today. Now, and one of the interesting ones, and I, I just remember as a for-profit institution, we reject some of them when we do our evaluation. One of them was Trump University that was rejected. And it it's based upon the fact of, you know, the financial guarantees. You know, what is the the institution? Are they doing this for revenue and profit or are they doing it, you know, as the support of the students? I imagine some imagine a university that would balk at the letter of credit and the bond or whatever it may be that to do that is uh, there's a reason that they're balking at it. Uh, well, some of them, again, quite frankly, it's a business. The, the ones when you say for profit, that's what it is. Right. It's for profit back to the owners of that company. And that may or may not fit the profile of what we need if we have other two-year or four-year public or independent colleges already providing the same degree. Why would you pay to become a phlebotomist 40000 when you could pay fourteen? Yeah. And then plus scholarships. Exactly. And so, so we ask those questions. Well, Maryland does have a wealth of higher education opportunities. We do, yes. Um, you know, we've got community colleges. There, how many are there in the state? 20? 16. 16? Pretty much in every county. Yes. Um, so we cover it covers the state. I think that the advertisement that the Maryland Association of Community College does is, you know, I think a thousand spots where they deliver courses. So it's, it's everywhere in every county to provide access. And it requires uh, the student participation in terms of tuition as a form of revenue. And then the locality, wherever the county or multiple counties that serve, as well as the state portion to pay. So it's it's been a robust and, and growing field. And every time you have an economic downturn, typically the four years try to stay stable. The two years pick up enrollment because those that are in an economic downturn look at upskilling. We're seeing a little bit of that in this pandemic, but because the pandemic is so unpredictable, it's been difficult to, okay. to measure that. Well, I, I can't sing the praises of a community colleges here in Maryland enough. My son, when he graduated high school, had no clue where he wanted to go. And uh, if I had to pick one of my three kids that was going to be the flake that had just floundered on through life, it would have been him. And uh, I, I said, before we send you and spend all this money going to a four-year school that you're not sure you want to go to, because, I mean, we're law enforcement, graphic design, airport. I mean, we're all over the place. I said, go to AACC, Anne Arundel Community College. Sure. And you know, figure out maybe maybe economics will jazz you. I said, I hope not, but let's you know maybe it will. And he went in there and he got the the IT bug, the tech bug. He ended up getting a internship at the Naval Academy doing some cyber, and that really did. And he ultimately ended up uh, at Towson, and he's now working for the University of Maryland system doing Excellent. cyber and stuff like that. So I mean, this is just opportunity that. It was really a launching pad from high school to community college on, and it really and and again, I wasn't unpleased because I mean I wasn't spending that much money to send them to an expensive four year school or an out of state school or an out of network right. school. And and I think that John, what you've expressed is is more the fact that you know education attainment of a degree is not a destination; it's a pathway, and and you pick up these skills and put them in your skill basket as you accumulate just going through different things. Um, and that's what's so important about access being so broad. Well, I think for people that are looking for the pathway, uh, it probably starts at mhec.maryland.gov. If you are a junior in high school, that's probably when you need to probably first get on that website, would you think? I Sophomore. And the reason for that is, the again, the early FAFSA and also the knowledge of your counselors at the high school level 
to make sure you're on the path of thinking about what classes you can take in the AP in high school, junior and senior year, that will qualify for credit at a two-year or four-year. So again, you lessen the time and the amount of money you spend on that degree. The AP was a bane of my existence for my daughter. My daughter, she took all the AP classes, and she's a really poor tester. Uh, So she ended up going to American University in D.C., which was a test-optional school, which is something that doesn't sit well with my mind. I just don't understand that. Yeah. But every AP test she got totally failed it. Interesting. Our but I mean, I mean, she was pulling A's in the courses, so right. she knew the stuff and everything else, but it was just the test stuff that it was like, I'm like, can't we just get like one class for free? No, no, no. That's, that's funny. Our son uh, went through a lot of AP classes, and he went to a, the Maryland in um, a scholar's program. So he had four suite mates. Every one of the suite mates had also picked up one semester through AP. So at the end of their, what was going to be their end of their baccalaureate, their normal um, four-year, they decided that the job market was so bad that each of them was going to stay an extra semester because they really enjoyed each other so much. Sure. And they each picked up a second degree, and that was because of AP. So within four years, all four of them had two degrees to graduate. Nothing wrong with that. Again, mhec.maryland.gov is the place to start as a sophomore in high school. You should be checking that out even if you are somebody that has gone through college and not quite made it. Right. Uh, There are options for you there. There's just a a wealth of information. Dr. Fielder from the MHEC, Maryland Higher Education Commission, thank you very much for your time today. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you and uh, be invited up here to the top floor. I'm like in the penthouse. That's funny. I mean, everybody says, why is it called higher ed? And I said, we're on the top floor of the building. In the education building. So I I really appreciate the conversation. The more we can push the news out there about everything that has been done to try to improve education in the state and, and a robust workforce is so important. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionannapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday. 